I want to welcome everybody to another episode of Passports and Poets, conversations about the power of place, the places that change us, and why it matters. I am your co-host, Dr. Chip Morgan, and I am speaking to you from our usual studio location in Wimberley, Texas, which is about 35 miles southwest of Austin. And my co-host, Rodney Burseal, our photographer-in-chief, is not here with me. Um, <clears throat> lucky, lucky Rodney is in the Camargue region in the south of France with our guest, who we're going to hear a lot more about and from, Patrice Aguilar. And he is continuing with his photography with the wild horses. So Rodney and Patrice, welcome on your beautiful uh, afternoon in the south of France. And Rodney, why don't we start with you and um, tell us what you're doing there and how you and Patrice started working together. Yeah, I've I've been I've been coming here for four years now, and um, I guess it started. I think we've talked about this, you know, with we've got a mutual friend, Jonathan Bird, musician who has a song called Wild Ponies, and who we also and, interviewed, and we'll attach that episode. Yes, who is yeah, who's been on here before. Mm-hmm. But yeah, his his song Wild Ponies was one of my favorites. And I remember, you know, talking to him about that and the inspiration for it. And long story short, it led to him inviting me to come up to or over to North Carolina to photograph the the wild horses there on uh on uh oh god, drawing a total blank on the area. Um but anyway, in North Carolina, North <laughs> the Carolina. Wild is that what you're, is that what you're reaching well, for? Well, what's the specific area? I can't believe I'm drawing a total blank on it. But I was, oh, yeah, I started the doing the Outer Banks. Thank you. So, um, that's yeah, why I started we work doing in teams, as I said. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why we don't do this by ourselves. Uh, right. But um, yeah, I was doing research on the Outer Banks, and in the middle of that, I somehow stumbled across the horses in Kamar. Mm. and i so yeah four trips later i guess that was five or six years ago this is now my, this is my fourth trip while i'm here now and i still haven't been to the outer banks so uh, <laughs> sorry I just, jonathan <laughs> i saw the saw the white horses running through the water and i just i had to do this and i got over here and and fell in love it just it, it really is one of the most magical places just this whole experience and Patrice is just, he's the guy here that, you know, every group that comes through is, he's the one that, you know, sets up everything with the, with the different ranches and, um, you know, it, the, what he goes through to find the the perfect spots. I mean, every day he's looking at weather and, you know, the, what, for what location is going to be perfect for, you know, with the, with the weather conditions or, you know, like this trip is completely different than my previous because I mean, uh, you know, it's later in the season. So typically the water levels are down anyway, but because of drought, it's been even lower. So he's been getting really creative with his locations and finding different marshes um, coming up with different concepts. So this trip has been completely different than, what I've done in the past. So let me, uh, let me just pause there and um, either Patrice, welcome again. 
of Arani. Thank you. Describe describe where you are um, in the south of France and what is the Carmar region? Well, it's, we fly in, you fly, the easiest route, I guess, is to you fly into Marseille and Camargue is about an hour, hour and a half west. And it's on the Mediterranean. It's all marshland. Um, and I'll, you know, I'll let Patrice go into, cause you know, Patrice has been doing this for 20 years. So I'll let him give the details on it, but that's, um, you know, that's the, the cliff note version of it. Yeah, but yeah, it's just it's just a beautiful place. I mean, when you think of France, you know, you think of Paris, and down here, it's just it's country land, and it just horses and birds, and it just it's just gorgeous. Well, Patrice, welcome, and why don't we start with Thank you, you. Um, by telling us a little bit about how you got involved with the horses and uh, in this part of France, which sounds absolutely beautiful. Uh, I started to walk with uh, to photograph the horses, and maybe it was I think it was twenty years ago, uh, because uh, at this time I just started to be a photographer, and I wanted to do something a bit special. So I saw some uh, some pictures of the horses. Uh, at this time, it was quite rare to do that kind of pictures. So what I did, I, I contacted the tourism office in Arles, which is the biggest city close to the Camargue area, and they had, they faxed me because at this time there's no internet so they faxed they faxed me a, a list with different properties and i called them one by one asking if it would be possible to get some uh, pictures of the horses running in the water so if uh, the rancher will accept uh to to do that for me just uh, use the horses and uh, there are moths or some piece of water where it would be possible to get the horses running and so one of them accepted and I, I did my, I made my first pictures with this guy, Michel. Uh, and for that time, I, I, I just uh, kept going with that, with that uh, photography and found new places, new ranches, and uh, developed this business. It sounds like a lot of fun, as well as um, a, a good business to be in. Um, Rodney, why don't you tell us? This is your fourth time with Patrice to do this. Uh, yeah, I think, it, but, I think it's my fourth. <laughs> okay, well, as you said, there is a time difference and, and Patrice does get you up quite early, which we're going to mm -hmm. talk about a little bit. Like, But what has it been like for you as a participant? Because you've been a photographer for, I don't know how many, maybe 20 as well. I don't know, or, or less or more. But now you're coming as a participant in this workshop to this whole new experience. What were, what were some of your first impressions? Well, just the the horses here, they're, um, you know, they're considered feral. Uh, and again, that's something else that I want Patrice to address, you know, the, you know, what makes a Camargue horse, you know, we can talk all about that in a little bit. But yeah, it's just, um, it's one of the oldest breed of horses in the world. And they're here, they're, they're all white. Um, and it's, it's about the only horse you see here. Um, occasionally you'll see something else, but, uh, you know, 99.9% .9 of the horses you see here are all Camargue horses. And, you know, just to see this herd of all white horses, um, it's just, it's just beautiful. Um, but the, they're, like I said, they're, they're considered feral. Uh, they're not fully wild, but they are, you know, accustomed to humans and, you know, you, you have these, you know, you, it's more than just the, 
the photographic experience. You're not just off witnessing this, you know, in between runs, the horses come up and interact with you and rub up on you and lick you and try and eat your clothes. And you know, they're just, it's just, it's such a, it's such a cool experience. I, I, there's just, there's just no way to describe it. Uh, I've, yeah, Patrice, this, tell this, us a little more about the the nature of the horses. Where did they come from? And uh, Rodney keeps describing them as feral. Um, tell us about that. Uh, we, we don't know exactly from when they they come. They come from. Uh, one thing is the Camargue is an island because uh, you have the Mediterranean Sea in the south, and uh, there is the Rhone River. We just split in two parts in the north of the city of Arles. So you have the main one river on the east part and the little one river on the west coast. So all of this water do uh, to come out to be an island. So it looks that the horses spend a lot of time there on this island. So they are now very well adapted to the harsh, harsh condition that you can find there. Uh, I mean, it's uh, hot in the summer. It could be cold in the, in the, in the winter, especially if there is a north wind called Mistral. Uh, very strong and cold uh, wind. Uh, it's marshy place, wetland. So they uh, they used to walk in the mud. Uh, there are a lot of mosquitoes sometimes. So they can they can uh, they can resist to all this uh, very harsh condition, and they can live on their own. They are they are no stable or stuff like this. They live outside all the time, uh, yeah. especially for the female, the mother. They spend their whole life in the wild in a semi-wild condition because there are no wild. There are no uh, wild uh, horses in the Camargue. Just uh, they live in semi-wild condition and the females spend their whole life in the, in the nature, in the wild, um, just giving birth in the wild as well uh, because uh, the, the Camargue horse is a pure brand now since uh, 1978. And just to be recognized that the Camargue horses, uh, the foals are to born in the wild without any help of the rancher. They just uh, go in the morning and just check how many new ones they can have. Mm. So what? So what I think they it, don't need humans anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what's What's yeah. the the reason? Probably a good thing. With the, yeah, with the with the horses for the 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 females. Um, why Why is it just the females? Because I mean, like when you see these the the different uh, horse. Uh, what am I trying to say? The walks, you know, where you can go and, you know, horseback riding. Are those all yeah. males here? And why, you know, why do they do it that way? Yeah, because there is a, there is a selection of horses. They, they, the ranchers select some female to be uh, the mothers. They will be mother all their life. Some stallions are kept uh, just to be a stallion and just reproduce, reproduce uh, the, the species. And all the other ones, uh, especially the male, they are gilded and they are used for the tourist uh, tourist tourism. I mean, uh, back riding, riding tour, and stuff like this. Uh, horses are very important also in the Camargue because they are part the partner of the guardian, the, the riders. We call them guardian. They're the French cowboy. We call them guardian here, and they used to walk to walk with the bulls, the black bulls, because at the the beginning, the horses. Are the, the the partner of the garden just to walk with the bulls? The garden at the, the long time ago it was just were well, just uh, like a shepherd, but for the bull. <laughs> so, so they spend the, their life. They, 
Yeah. So the the guard the guardians here. I mean, it's it's a considered a a full time job, right? Yeah. Yeah. Especially especially for the for the farmer for the the rancher. I mean, and uh, there are a lot of uh, guardians which is with, with, who are just amateurs. Uh, they just help because they like to ride. They like to be with the bulls. They they like to walk with the bulls. So they just help a friend or another rancher just to be on the horse, to be outside. It's part of their traditional step. So how, how do we get that job? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think it's passion. Just, yeah. just by passion. passion. Because the, a guardian will tell you, my, my riches is not, we don't, you, you don't, uh, you're not a guardian for the money. You're a guardian yeah. because of the passion. Yeah. Yeah, because it, it's not a very well paid. No, no, no. Yeah, uh, they, they do. The, the richest is just to be there and to be with with the horses and the bulls. Yeah, and outside in the natural. So the the twenty years that you've been doing this, are there a lot of the you see? Is it still a lot of the same guardians from twenty years ago? Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. So someone just starting. <laughs> yeah. What's that, Patrice? I said uh, some of them just start and I start as well. Uh, when I started as well, 20 years ago, and they're still now in, the, in function, I <laughs> said, in the business. Uh, some other ones are maybe older now, and they just try to find new ones just to, uh, to be like a link, just to, uh, to, to keep going with this business. Mm-hmm. Because they, they don't sell the business. They just give. To another passionate, passionate people, person. <laughs> Is it <that> clear? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Rodney, well, Sorry, my, my English is not perfect. No, so no, no. Uh, no, okay. it's, it's very good. Uh, there's just a, a lot to to take in about what you're saying. Um, Rodney, I'm curious um, because I have been a voyeur on so many of your photographic journeys. Take us through what it's like on a is if there is such a thing as an average day in the south of France, um, what is it you're doing over there um, with the horses and the photography? I know we get up at five. Yeah, what happens after that? I mean, there, <laughs> there, yeah, there, there is. It is kind of a typical day here. Every day is um, kind of the the same, but your experience is is different. But it. Yeah, every every morning, you know, depending on the location, because some locations are ten minutes away and others are thirty minutes away. So, you you typically want to be there right at sunset or shortly thereafter, you know, to get the perfect light. Mm-hmm. So, just depending on where the what ranch we're going to determines what time we're getting up. Like the you know, this morning we wanted to be on the beach before the sun came up because of the, the style of shoot that we were doing, we're incorporating the sunrise with, with the horses. So we had to be there at five o'clock or no, it was, or no, what, or no, we left. We left. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I had to get up at four thirty this morning and, but then I think tomorrow, you know, it's, or I actually, I don't even know what tomorrow is, but, you know, like yesterday morning, we didn't leave till six thirty, so we got to sleep in. <laughs> so we we go and um, you know, we'll what whatever the whatever we're doing with the horses that morning, 
it'll it's typically a you know about a two hour shoot and then we come back and have breakfast and then you've you've got all day to do do whatever you want and you know I'm still getting turned around from jet lag so I'm I'm napping but uh, you know and there's the the town here you know you walk into town there's tons of little restaurants and shops and markets and so um, it's just a good time to unwind and relax and just do whatever you want and then in the afternoon we usually leave about 6 30 well again it depends on the time of the year you know because you're catching sunset so this time of year while we're here you know it's we're in what are we in june oh, so we so like yeah. late yeah yeah. So that, yeah we we leave about 6 30 and go do the shoot and then come back and you know like last night i think we had a 10 o'clock dinner and you know <laughs> Went to bed. At, yeah, went to bed about midnight and got up at four. So that's that's a that's a day here. <laughs> Have you um, had different experiences with that kind of schedule in different places over four years? What what are some of the <clears throat> the things that you so vividly remember, as well as your fantastic photographs, which everybody, including myself, just love. What are some of your most vivid memories about these experiences? It's it's really just the the main thing for me with the shoots is it's the interaction with the horses. Like I said, it's just it's such a magical thing. Um, I I don't I don't know how to how to describe it. I mean, I think it shows in the photos. It's mm -hmm. uh, you know just even my kind of behind the scenes photos of just mm -hmm. being with them, you know, cause they do, like I said, they just, you know, today we were shooting on the beach and I was laying down in the sand dunes and they, you know, they're running at us full steam and they come right up to you. And then, you know, right as they see you, they stop and come up and they'll, you know, nuzzle you and kiss you. And yeah, you know, it's, so yeah, that's, I mean, it's like, Every really every this this trip is pretty pretty consistent. It's pretty much it's the same but different. You know every mm -hmm. every year. So kind of like coming home, I guess. After it, so it, it is, it does it does feel like coming home here. It's just mm -hmm. it's so it's so comfortable. But of course, I you know my my heritage is French. So if you know how much you believe in all that, you know it's ancestors dna in your body mm. you know because i did the first there's there have been so many trips that i've gone on where you step off the plane and something doesn't feel right doesn't quite feel comfortable and first time here i stepped off the plane in marseille and i just i i felt like i belonged here it mm. just it feels Gotta so pay attention good. to that <clears throat> yeah patrice and i were talking a little bit earlier while you were still waking up ronnie yeah um, <laughs> i was curious if if horses um, were the only things that he photographed. And you were telling me, Patrice, about some of the other kinds of uh, photography workshops or photography work that you've done. Could you share some of that? Yeah, uh, I, I mainly have wildlife photography. So I'm used to go also overseas. I, I do I do wildlife photography in France, but I'm, I'm used to go also in, uh, in overseas, so in uh, foreign countries. Uh, because I'm, I'm working with two French agencies and I lead French people uh, from France to uh, the different countries. So we have a catalog of trips 
uh, where we go. So, uh, for instance, I was in uh, Yellowstone National Park for a month in January for the, to do the, the bison and the wolves in the winter conditions. Uh, then right after that, I went to Uganda to photograph the gorillas and chimpanzees. I would go to Canada and Alaska in August for another month, photograph the, the Demter Highway, or the Tombstone National Park. And also the Alaska part will be with the grizzly fishing the salmons wow. in southeast Alaska in, in a small town called Ains, Chilkat River. He, so you, he sounds yeah, as adventurous as you are, right? <laughs> yeah, you're you're making Large me look bad. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So I got to step up a, my game. <laughs> uh, we have a good catalog, so yeah, I'm used to go to Kenya, South Africa, Botswana, Tanzania. Went to India, Borneo, uh, Spitsbergen, Iceland. So we have a very rich catalog, and uh, so the good thing when you're lead. A trip like this is to you can choose make a choice on okay this year I want to go there um, next year we go to to discover another another country mm-hmm. so for instance next year we I know in January we go to uh, Japan we go to Hokkaido Island just to photograph the wildlife over there in the winter because I went to Yellowstone for several years now so I say okay next year we change a little bit so we go to Japan instead uh i know i will go in next april i will go to uh to india we go back because i already went there uh india to photograph the tigers in bandaka mm. national oh. park and uh we go to spitsbergen in august just to just to, to do the run the, the run trip around the island but try to photograph the polar bears so it's uh as a photographer now a modern pro photographers you have to try to get incomes from different sources Mm-hmm. So, uh, organizing workshop in the province, which is my uh, my uh, my place, Camargue and Provence, which is Camargue is a part of Provence. It's uh, the same. Uh, so, Camargue uh, we have the horses. Uh, Provence we have the little uh, hilltop villages. Uh, we have the lavender fields, and then I lead uh, trips uh, overseas as well. It's another part of my incomes. I did some books. I, I send I sell some pictures also for a magazine or just for the sometimes for the for hotel as well just to decorate the the, the rooms or the the hall or the office. Uh, so it's different now. It's uh, I think it's quite difficult because you have to uh, get incomes from different sources. Uh, it's not easy, but at a guardian, I'm passionate by photo and nature. So for me, it's not. Uh, it's not like a job, you know. It's uh, it's a passion. It's something I will do during my holiday or my weekend. So mm-hmm. I don't feel I'm working, and I don't think about retirement things like that. I just, uh, yeah, it's it's. I think it's. Uh, I'm very lucky about that. I think is there, one, because is there one central place where people can find your work or learn about the tours and the workshops that you're giving? Is it a a website? Yeah, go on my, how can people on my, find on my, you? On my on my website? Yeah. So it's, uh, here's my name, it's patriceaguilar.com. Okay, and, we'll put uh, you Ronnie. We'll, uh, you all on the information. We, when we post this, we'll be sure to put that up there. And Ronnie, I saw you drooling at um, tigers and uh, yeah, <laughs> grizzlies and, and all of those yeah. that you haven't gotten to yet. Well, yeah, all the, the, the these trips that you're talking about, you, I think I understood you said that um, 
are most of these, are you just, you're doing on, on your own on assignment or are you, you running these trips with groups or like, I, 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 uh, I lead, I did for a travel agency because I, I'm just an entrepreneur photographer. So I, I cannot organize like a full trip. Uh, I mean, propose a package with uh, including my prestation plus the transportation plus the, the hotel and everything. I cannot do that. I'm not a travel agency myself. So yeah. I have to work with a travel agency because it's all about the insurances. You know, you, you need to be, as a travel agency, you need very strong insurances in case of something can happen with people. Right. So what, what I would go uh, wrong so, with polar bears. <laughs> <laughs> I think no, it's it's good to have because of the when we arrive to a foreign country, we have a guide over there, we have instruction, so we know exactly what to do. Uh, when we go to Alaska, we, we know we are in bear countries, a bear's country, so uh, we know now what to do because we it, it will be my uh, eighth, uh, maybe tenth tra- trip uh, in Alaska this summer. So we know exactly what to do. We have a good equipment uh, because it's a trip where we are 40 in the hotel and we stay another part of the in a tent in camping. Yeah. Just to be able to, to stay in a really remote place. Uh, so it's very nice because I like, I like to be in a tent at night and just hear just the natural sounds, the wind in the branches, a river, a lake, a ocean. It's very for me. It's like uh, it's better than a sleeping pill. Yeah, it's yeah. That's what I love the most about going over to. Yeah, it's, uh, so that's that's why it's very important. I think it's hotel is comfortable because you have a good bed, you have a shower, you have everything. It's it's warm, but be, staying in the in the tent, it's very uh, rustic. Mm-hmm. But you can find another experience. So what we do because we have a certain uh, type of clients. And some of them are quite aged, old, so they, they cannot, uh, they, they couldn't do the trip and spend maybe 14 nights in the tent. So we do one night in the tent, one or two nights in the hotel, and another night in the tent. And, and, and generally they like that. Even if they, when they wake up in the morning after the, the, the night in the tent, they, I think it's backache and stuff like this, but they are yeah, quite happy yeah. because, yeah, it's so, so fun, so much fun. Yeah, we we just I, set the fire. You cook on the fire, so it's very, very, very nice. Marshmallows, s'mores. Maybe they don't do yeah. that to the world. <laughs> I think, sure. But I, I, have question, I have a question for both of you, um, and I'd like to start with Patrice. As wildlife photographers, photographing uh, very different kinds of wildlife around the world, and for you, Patrice, over twenty years, and Rodney, for you. We include the underwater stuff, you know, a long time too. Have you noticed or what have you noticed about any changes in the wildlife environment? You know, we are hearing a lot about climate change and the polar bears and, um, and the jungles and the gorillas. What have you personally noticed about what may have changed over the last 10 or 20 years? I think the most, the, the, the biggest thing I saw is the number of tourists that you can add now. Because I'm sorry, uh, what? the number of people, of uh, tourists, you can find oh. in different uh, touristic places. Oh. Uh, just uh, for an, an example, it's in Iceland. I remember my first trip in Iceland was in 1999. And I went there in May. I, I was there alone. 
no no more people not very just a few people really i, I went back I, I went back the last time i went in this land was last year in august it was terrible yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's it was we are we were still in a good condition so uh uh, so some friend of mine that, that went to Iceland for the last maybe five five ten years, they 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 told me the same stuff. It's just overcrowded now, in, especially yeah. in the touristic place. If you go a bit further in the remote place of the country, it's still okay. But uh, so, but it's it also it's overcrowded, and overcrowded means higher prices and every higher everything. So it's uh, yeah. it's very uncomfortable to uh, to be. Uh, I remember a beach in the uh, south of Iceland called Jökulsárlón, and there is uh, it's a beach where the people are used to photograph the big um, how do you call that uh, ice uh, ice chip you know on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the I, like a big ice cube. Yeah, yeah. the glaciers. And now you, you know you cannot you cannot make a photo without the people in the on the big mm-hmm. in the field. It's impossible mm-hmm. because there are people everywhere. So it's very hard now. Different depending on where you go. If you go to Africa. Especially in East Africa, uh, when when uh, you have a, you stay in the four wheel drive in the jeep, and the, and the, the the drivers they do talk each other and they just exchange the information and uh, and share the information. And uh, as soon as you, they find a leopard or lion or something a bit special, uh, you you can have maybe 30, 20 to thirty cars coming around. So it's uh, it's something that I. I I think it's more rare to find to see in uh, South Africa in um, Botswana because they limit the, the number of cars around an animal, four to five car maximum, which is I think better. Because I want to I want to cut in here because this has been something that's been heavy in my conversations lately because of my recent trips to to East Africa and that that's one of the main things that we encountered. And I, it's good to hear that you're saying in some areas they are restricting it, but like in the Mara, it that was that was my experience, and I was there at the tail, you know, with right as things were starting to open up after COVID, and so the and it, I was there during the off season, and people still weren't traveling yet because of you know what we're dealing with at the moment. And yeah. so it was, it was, this was supposed to have been a very low travel time and we're in the Mara and we, it was, yeah, exactly what you're saying is all these, these trucks, these drivers are interacting and telling each other what's going on. So if there's something good, you know, it's for the tourist, it's great because, you know, it's almost your guaranteed you're going to find this yeah. thing, everything that you, that you're putting on your bucket list. But when that happens, then you've got, you know, you're saying 30, there was, there was a family or it was four the four brothers, four cheetahs that were hunting. And by, I finally told my driver to leave because I didn't want to be yeah. part of it anymore because there, I counted at least 40 trucks that yeah. were chasing these and circling them. And it just, it felt so awful. And I just, I mean, I I don't I don't honestly I don't understand why these animals stay in these areas. I mean, maybe they've you know gotten adapted to it, but it just it feels so intrusive. And I I don't know why there aren't more regulations. I know it's all about money, but you know why you know why don't they restrict the number of people allowed into the park or, or 
you know, the number of cars are not, you know, not allowed the interaction and you, you just have these, you know, these random experiences with animals, you know, going and finding them on your own instead of just, you know, it's, I mean, it's almost like you're in a zoo at the, at the, yeah, yeah that, that's the thing. Yeah. I, I think it's just about money because if you go to South Africa, uh, and you find an animal because in uh, you, you know, in South Africa you have the private reserve. It's just mm-hmm. most of them are around the, the Kruger National Park. And if you go in, the, in such area, uh, as soon as you find a leopard, maybe uh, you they just allow four four cars to be around the animal at the same time, and you don't have to block him if it is chasing. You cannot be between him and his prey. Mm. You have just to leave space, more space. So I think it's 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 a better way to uh, observe the wildlife, just to watch the wildlife. And in in, in East Africa, it's uh, it's the worst. I think uh, in Uganda, when you when you travel, when you go to see the gorillas, as soon as you find the family, the group, you just have an hour to spend. Yeah, the time. yeah. You cannot stay anymore. And after that, it's 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 finished for the day. Yeah. So yeah, so it's, can... uh, it's it, it's a process to uh, for 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 something they call habituation. They, they want to habituate the gorillas to see people, uh, but after an hour you leave. Mm. You have guide over there. You have trackers. You have uh, different people, and they say, "Okay, it's time to go." And so we and the family just keep going in this life. So keep moving, and you and when you stay an hour with them, you don't feel them very uncomfortable or just tracked. They, they are very normal. They do yeah. their life. They yeah, just I, used to I, see people. Yeah, I just... But with I just, 40 cars around, you cannot... I think with 40... Most of the time in, in East Africa, when you find a leopard or a lion like this, and, and, and surrounded by 40 cars, most of the time, it finish under a car, just go in the shade. And nobody can see it anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, yeah, yeah. It could be, I think it could be a problem. What's your fear about um, the worst outcome of this if it goes unchecked, if it doesn't have beginning to have some regulation around it? What can happen to the animals? You mean if they don't want to go there? (laughs) (laughs) You mean if there are too many people around them? If it just keeps going at the rate you were talking about Iceland in 1999, but if you if you apply that to what's happening in Africa and some of these other places with the vast increase of tourists, how how much further can that? I, I don't think they will increase because uh, I think we are now we have we we, we reach a limit. Of yeah. People, 40 cars is it's already too much. So more more will be totally crazy. But I think you also. I uh, have to think about because some pe- I know some people now are just uh, we we cannot fly anymore with the plane. It's just about the you know the the carbons in the air, uh, the the global warming and everything. But what happened during the pandemic? It was very good for the wildlife for sure because uh, there's no more people. But it wasn't good for the people, local people that need tourists to walk, especially in Africa as well. Was what happened over there during the just during the COVID pandemic? It was. Uh, they, they they just started to uh, to poach again. You know, poach. They kill yeah. the animals again. Yes. Poach, yeah, yeah. And they they try to do that again because they need to eat to to feed the family. So we have to find a balance between too much people in the place and nobody. 
and just doing it in a with it with some limit probably but we cannot uh, give up everything and just okay we we don't fly anymore we don't do uh, this we don't do that but it's not easy uh, yeah we've well i think we've talked i guess it was with james or uh, we've talked about this on a different podcast too yeah it's, it's kind of a it's a it's a catch 22 on how to you know how do you do this because obviously tourism is what funds things over there to you know to protect the wildlife but then you get too many people and then you're just creating a whole different type of harm so it's yeah it's finding that balance and you know just guys that's uh, i I hate saying restrictions but you know that's what it's come down to you've you've got to do something to protect these these places you know because they're talking about you know they're talking about the mara and how it's you know it's you know the mara is dying because of so many cars going through there you know like a lot of these parks they've got dedicated road space and you yeah. you know you have to stay on the roads and the mara you're just you can go about wherever and you don't know what you're running over you know the, there's more than just mm. lions and elephants and giraffes there you know you've got you know, dung beetles and all these other yeah. things that are so important, you know, to the ecosystem and you kill all that. then you know, it's just, you know, like we've talked about so many times, you know, everything has a purpose and, you know, if we don't take care of it, we're going to, you know, we're going to create a whole nother problem. Yeah. That, uh, that, uh, a sentence like this is, uh, we'll cut a flower, kill a star, <laughs> you know, probably there's okay. this, uh, this formula but it's, yes. it's a bit of this because a small insect is just nothing for most of the people but it's very important yeah for the alimentary uh for the food um, chain yeah 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 but it's yeah it's like the the mosquitoes here you know it's, yeah yeah, it's, on, yeah it's very it's very <laughs> the purpose of the mosquitoes here a, the size yeah. of footballs so but we there is you know, one i presume yeah there's there's so many birds here that you know they're I'm sure that um, you know the mosquitoes are a big part of their their diet. That because of the mosquito, that's there are so many birds. It, yeah. No, no, no more mosquitoes, no more birds. <laughs> yeah, it, and, and that's, that's the other thing that yeah we we haven't talked about here is yeah the the bird populations are ridiculous. I mean it's it's got a huge flamingo population, mm. the egrets and swans, and I mean. Patrice can elaborate on that too, but the, you know, the, the birds are it just, and I'm, I'm not a birder and I'm just in awe of, you know, the, of the birds here. Yeah. I think Camargue is a very famous place for the birds uh, because it's a wetland and uh, the, the birds I used to go at, at least twice a year, the, the spring and the, during the migration, spring and fall, uh, autumn. Uh, so we have a lot of people coming here just for other bird watchers. They want to see birds. Uh, actually, it's spring. We have a lot of bee eaters coming from Africa. Uh, we have uh, rollers, uh, ibis, different kinds. Uh, um, uh, as is it called? Uh, another one. Uh, so many, so many birds here. Yeah, and the the flamingos. It's, it's another uh, part of the tourism play, uh, tourism stuff. Yeah. Yeah, or the the flamingos are they resident or do they migrate or? 
we, we have a population that, that spend there that they stay there all right all year round and uh, there is another population that come just for the winter and another population that come just from the first spring just to breed yeah. but if you you can come whatever you want you you will see uh, flamingos in Comor. yeah i thought we were heard to me did did you know that before you were there Rodney? did you ever think about flamingos in the Comor? I, I honestly don't remember. I, yeah, it's, I, yeah, like I said, it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was seeing. I, yeah, I was strictly here for the horse. I, I, I think when I got here, it was, it was one of those, was that a flamingo? <laughs> and, and that's what, that's what's so, what is, what is so cool too is, you know, we're out in these marshes and you don't really think about it, but off in the distance, you see this giant flock of birds. And, you know, being in the States, you know, it can, you know, whatever that may be, you know, whether it's, you know, if it's geese migrating or ducks or, but here it's, you know, it's flamingos, you know, which is, you know, to Patrice, that probably said that seems normal. But for us to think of a flock of flamingos flying over, is just, it's so surreal. And yeah. I've, I've got, you know, one of my favorite photos of, I've got the horses running, running through, and this giant flock of flamingos in the background, and mm. you, you don't notice it. You know, you just see a, you know, birds. But when I tell people, to come off, yeah, yeah. When I tell people that they're flamingos, they just <laughs> they get but, the whole. Uh, thing come on, honey. Yeah. <laughs> in, in, in Comor, it's, uh, it's uh, the, the greater flamingo. Is the different? It's, it's a different one than the one that you can find in South Africa, in Africa or South America. Mm. The, the mm. greater flamingos that we have in Comorg are taller, and only the wings are pink. Uh, the lesser flamingos in Africa or in South America, it's uh, it's shorter and more pink, totally pink. Yeah. I think it's nicer. But the one yeah. we have uh, here, it's very big. And when you see it from uh, from a far distance, it's uh, quite white, almost white. They look white. Yeah. Mm. It's, it's just when they spread the, the wings and say, oh, there, there is some pink in, uh, on this bird. Patrice, mm -hmm. so, is there any place in the globe, on the globe, around the globe, <laughs> outside of the globe, that yeah. you haven't been and that you really... Oh, yeah, hope? sure. Oh, well, what are some places you still hope yeah. to photograph? Uh, animals, wildlife. There is a place where I would like to go. It's Hawaii. See the volcano. Hawaii. Is where? Hawaii. 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 Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. On Big Island. On the Big Island, just to see yeah. the, the 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 volcano. I, I have had a, a good experience with volcano in uh, Sicily with the, on the Etna. Yeah. I photographed an eruption in two thousand one. Mm -hmm. And then I also, in 2002, I went back there and I went to Aeolian Islands. And I, uh, I went on the Stromboli, which is another sm smaller uh, volcano. And we uh, photographed also. So Hawaii is it's a place I would like to go, never been. Uh, what else? Australia, never been there. New Zealand. Japan would be my first trip in, in January. So yeah, there are so many places. But let's talk about what about the the tigers? That's something that's been popping up for me lately too. I've been wanting to to do that. Um, you know where where exactly are you going? And because I a couple other photographers that I follow that have that have done that, and it's it sounds like it's a you know as far as 
spotting them. It's, you know, it's not like coming here and the horses, you know, they're there. You know, the, the tigers, there's a, a pretty good chance. The tigers are white. They are white animals. But it's, uh, there is a, park, a national park in the north, north of India, uh, the Rajasthan, uh, called Bandavgar. Uh, and it's, I think it's a part where you have uh, very good chances to, uh, to see the tiger there. Because mm -hmm. it's uh, the same that in, in Africa, right? you, have, you go with a, on the jeep with a guide and driver and they talk each other. They just get information from others, from each other. So as soon as a, a tiger is found, it's, it's a bit like in, in East Africa. You have a lot of jeeps coming. Yeah. So the thing is try to find it uh, first, be the first to find it. Yeah. So you can spend some time with, uh, with the animal without any, anybody around. And mm -hmm. uh, after that, I think after a while, maybe 10 minutes, the driver has to call the other one. Hmm. So, as uh, when you find it, this is the same in uh, in South Africa. If you find a leopard or the tiger in India, if you find one, your car find one, you have ten minutes to spend with him, and then the the, the driver has to call the other one. Just get just share the information, so, which is so good that, because. Well, it, you know, you say that's good. I want to hear your perspective on that because I'm curious. Because I mean, to me, that sounds you know that's what we we're talking about a minute ago. Is you know they have to have to report it, but it yeah, that's just that's inviting all this traffic yeah. in. To, you know, so why? Yeah, what's the reason for having to do that? I think it's because uh, you know when you go to Africa, tourists, not the photographer, but when the tourists go to Africa, the goal is to get the big five. Mm -hmm. Even if they just see it very far, far away, they don't care. In uh, with a very uh, ugly. Uh, Noon, noon light, you know, very white light, very ugly. Uh, but they don't care. They just want to see. If they mm. see just the tail of the leopard, okay, they can check. <laughs> done. Yeah. Leopard is done. Uh, and so they want to see the, the big five. And in, I think in India, the same. The, the, the driver one absolutely want the, the, his, his people in his car, the people in his car to see the tiger. I think it's probably maybe about getting a good tip or something. Mm -hmm. uh, because if they don't see any tiger, they will be disappointed, yeah. and I think the tip will be less. <laughs> yeah. But, so yeah, that that is that, that is they are very crazy. Yeah, I, I saw I saw some stuff in India, but totally crazy. All the car around the tiger, and the tiger was just lying in the ground. And when it, when you just stand and try to to live, all the all the jibs started at the same time. It was like a race, a race mm -hmm. start. And mm -hmm. there was people on on the on some jeeps that were still standing, just taking photos. They almost fell down when they yeah. started because they want to do so so quick to be first, to yeah. be the first one to, to to follow the tiger. That the people almost fell down from the car and everything. It was the mess. That's why I thought I thought to my you, driver, just slow, slow down, and you check everything before to start. Check yeah. that all the people are just sat sat on the uh -huh. on the on the on the seat. Said, have you, have you done the Great Migration? Have you done yeah. migration? Yeah, I did it from Tanzania and from and from Kenya as well. Yeah, because that was yeah, I've I've done just the you know just out in the plains, but for the first time I did the river crossings. Yeah, and that that's what that was like, and it was so insane. It was like Mad Max, and I had yeah. no idea because you go you go up to the river where you see where the wildebeest are about, you know, they're contemplating crossing 
and you know sometimes you can sit there for hours waiting for him to do this and the jeeps have to be so far back but the second that first wheel touches the water the jeeps yeah. are allowed to move in and it's just because they want to be the first take one off. And yeah. yeah, everybody, you know, I almost yeah, felt yeah, like yeah. I had no idea they were oh, yeah, going to do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but it's, it's terrible. It's incredible. Yeah. But because because the driver want, want uh, his people to be the first, to do the, the, the very well uh, located, to just to be uh, on, on the right place, just mm-hmm. to see them and photograph them. But they are so, uh, they are so this idea in, in head that they don't think about the people in the car. They just go straight. Mm. I want to be the first one. I want my people to be uh, just on the on the right place, but they don't check. They they don't check if people are okay just to to move. So I always yeah. think about so yeah, kinds of certain conditions as being dangerous. We talk about that, Ronnie, with the animals, but it sounds like yeah. it's personally dangerous just standing up and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's the humans. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can be, and you can you've be always hurt. said that, Ronnie. <laughs> it's, always, it's always the people. Yeah. You, you can be hurt because uh, and no, no, with the animals you can be hurt because you can fell down from the car or your head can hit something in the car mm-hmm. because it's so uh, so quick. Yeah. Well, you also mentioned you do lavender tours. <laughs> in yeah, lavender. I uh, think it's, sounds fabulous. it's more quiet. <laughs> it's more quiet. Mm. Uh, you just have only bees in mm. the field. So yeah. they're, they're the quite bees, okay. okay. Bees, yeah. Yeah, no, that's to me. That sounds. I, I like yeah. to be. I like to be in the lavender field. It smell lavender in the air. You mm-hmm. have the the, the bees uh, sound all around. Mm-hmm. It's very quiet early in the morning or late in the evening with a beautiful light. It's very peaceful. And that's coming up pretty soon. You said end of June. Yeah, yeah. We'll be we'll be in the next week probably. In the next two weeks, it was so we probably start to. It could, it could change every year because depending on the on the weather, but uh, we have quite uh, hot water uh, hot uh, weather now here. Mm-hmm. So I think it will be probably be a bit in advance this year. That we bloom in advance a little bit. Well, so that, I didn't check yet. So I will go the, no, I will next year. Yeah, you, sorry. So that for sure, that needs to be your slogan: be lions, tigers, bears, and lavender. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he had me at lavender. <laughs> Rodney knows I'm adventurous in spirit, but not necessarily yeah. with my legs. <laughs> I love the stories, but no, that that really sounds wonderful. And and Patrice, you you have so literally been all over the world, appreciating wildlife and nature uh, in so many forms. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, we have to. Told. Yeah, I like to be natural. I like to inform people about the beauty of the natural, uh, of the natural, and uh, just about uh, the the urgency, or the emergency. You have to protect it mm-hmm. and uh, and do what we have. So it's nice, I think, to show the beauty of the of the world, just to uh, to get people uh, thinking about it, and just uh, maybe. I be like, uh, uh, what do you call that? Yeah. Sparking? No. <laughs> uh, just uh, the, the, can, the, the, the people to realize mm-hmm. uh, that the environment is very nice, but it's very fragile. Yeah. And so we really have to uh, be careful and take care of it. Not only for us, but also for the next generation, our, our kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's, it's, uh, it's good to get a lot of money for certain people. They just think about money, doing money, 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 but 
as, as, uh, I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember who said that, that uh, you cannot eat money. So if yeah. there is nothing to eat on the, on the hearse anymore, you will, you will stay with your money and your, your, your coins and your bills, and that's it. And Ronnie, that's, of course, what you do also so beautifully with your photography. Um, and what we are really happy to be doing with so many of our podcasts is, here's the beauty, here's the incredible look at nature. Now let's talk about if it's threatened and how it's threatened and what we might be able to do about that. I'm looking forward to your new horse photographs, Rodney. We're going to yeah. see a, a bunch I mean, of new ones. Well, I've, I've, I've posted a couple already. Um, I put, I, I, it's so funny because on this, I, I'm out there. Of course, you're in water. And mm -hmm. I've got two camera bodies and then my iPhone. And I'm trying to use everything <laughs> all at the same time. And I just need to... Focus on working for you. <laughs> but, well, I'm I'm managing, but it's <laughs> but yeah, like this this time I I took my you know, I've got a GoPro, but I the, the iPhones now are seem so much better, just so much easier for editing and so I had my old GoPro tripod. I pulled the GoPro out of it and duct taped my iPhone to the tripod. <laughs> Instead the high tech stuff, right? <laughs> Duct tape, yeah. While while I'm photographing, but I've, yeah, pho I I posted that, and that was where that's over at is it Pen Forecat, where that was that's one of my favorite places. Of course, right now with this time of the year, the water was way low. What it you know what I'm used to, but it's it just the sunsets over there are just ridiculous. Like to go like, what. You've been kicked off of Facebook, but <laughs> I have. Yes, yeah, so doesn't know that. But well, I just I I'll, see none of this, Rodney. Instagram. I'll, I'll send you. I'll send you the video, but okay. just the, the yeah, sunset, the clouds, and the colors, and then the horses running through, and it's just, you know, that's that's the definition yeah. of why I come here every year. Mm -hmm. Just that that ten sec ten second video sums up. Do you all have another um, shoot this evening? Yeah, we, what are we doing this evening? I think we got to go and do a marsh. We're going to marsh again, yeah, a new place. A new yeah. place that you don't know yet because uh, I started to walk in this place for just two years now during the COVID uh, because uh, when we when we are uh, being able to move again a little bit, I, uh, I I take benefit of this time just to try to find new places. Uh so I found a new one, which is, I, I love that because it's uh, surrounded by the reeds and trees and everything. So it's nice in the in the spring because it's green and it's nice in the fall because it's brown and red and yellow. Mm. So it's, uh, it, it's a very nice place, you will see that. Yeah. And we have a bunch of horses just running there with a lot of splashes. Yeah, and something, a lot of something that we're doing this year that I don't know if you, if you how is it? new for you but it's new for me but the the horse is running through the dust i don't know is that a or just because of this time of the year or is that something yeah it's because to 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 get this i love do, doing that because it's very uh spectacular yeah. uh but i think it's you have to 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 have uh, different conditions to do that you are first to get a nice weather with the sunset because you need the, the dust to be golden if it is overcast it doesn't work the same uh, you need uh, the condition to be very dry, because if it if it's rained two or three days before, it's over. You cannot do anymore because you're not dust, and uh, you get the horses running in the mud. So it's yeah. terrible. Mm. 
So, but if when it's, uh, yeah, I think uh, we will do that tomorrow. And tomorrow, I think, will be hot and and dry and with a nice sunrise, sunset. So uh, sunset is better than sunrise also because uh, most of the time, early in the morning, it could be, uh, you can you can add dew, you know, dew, D-E-W, dew. And so it just stuck the, the dust on the ground. Yeah. But after a full day of uh, heat, in the, so it means in the sunset, in the evening, the, the, there is so dusty that you cannot see the horses anymore. So they just appear through the dust at a moment you don't know exactly where. It's not really easy even for that to focus uh, because sometimes the focus just cannot find the subject. So you can do yeah. that. You, you Maybe you have to do that manually just to try to expect a place where they will come out and just... Uh, manually just focus on this point and wait for them if there if there is a the, it will be the the, the right pace. Uh, that is very spectacular. You will see that tomorrow, and I love that. I love to do that. So I hope it will be a good uh, session. Yeah, I'm, I'm even more excited about this shoot now. <laughs> and take take some yeah. protection for the camera because uh, plastic bag have... or something because okay, dust yeah. will be everywhere. Yeah, you have more adventures, Rodney, and we'll look forward to hearing about that. Um, Patrice, I would like to thank you, and I know Rodney and I both want to thank you so much for making this possible and for Rodney giving up some of your nap time. I know that's uh, yeah. <laughs> that's important to you, but thank you, and uh, it's such a pleasure to meet you, and I look forward to hearing thank more you about to you in the years to come. Thanks, thanks yeah. to you. Thanks. Uh, we'd, uh, we would also like to thank uh, Rupert Neve Design, who has generously contributed some of the equipment for our podcast, very, very generously. We want to thank Donovan Frankenreiter for our intro and our outro music. We want to thank our video producer as we take this video, and we will be posting the video version of our podcast on YouTube under Passports. <laughs> yes, Passports and Poets Podcast. You can find, I think this will be our, our fourth one. We'd also like to thank our local hometown radio station, KWVH 94.3. Uh, you can find them also on Wimberley Radio, what is it? WimberleyValleyRadio.org, where we are rebroadcast this um, podcast from three to four on Wednesday, uh, Central Time. And you can also find us in the archives. You can also find all of our episodes over the last two years in our passportsandpoets.com website. And we are on Apple and Spotify and wherever you find your podcast. We wanna thank Brock Glenn Thomas, who is our audio producer and our radio producer. And we'd like to thank Dylan Roberts, who is our video producer. Our staff is growing and we're doing exciting things. Most of all, we would like to thank all of you, our listeners, for tuning in again for Passports and Poets conversations about the power of place, the places that change us, and why it matters. Until next time.